0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association. Real education for people who believe in real food. For more information, visit nutritionaltherapy.com. I'm Michael Ameco from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwood, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: And welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here slightly intimidated by (laughs) Dara Goldstein. um, Because I think, subsequently, I wouldn't be doing this if not for you. I think it was 2006 when a selection of my back-of-the-house photographs were printed in your magazine, Gastronomica. And it got me thinking, well, I guess these images are more than just for me. You
3: know. They were beautiful. Thank you. You're underestimating yeah.
2: yourself. Well, it, it, was, it was for so long, I, I, I was photographing, you know, this back of the house, the lives of chefs and kitchens, and I knew there was something there. But like many, I think, I felt alone. You know, it, it is a very insular society, not so much now. I think it's exploded in this, in this large mass media kind of way. But th- there was something comforting about it not being overexposed. Um, But then gastronomica in no way is overexposed. It explores these niches. Uh, It explores these eccentricities that, you know, we get to dork out over and people get to actually read it. Um, And it was just such an awesome thing to to find that there is good food media.
3: There is, and there's ever more.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And here today, I got to touch it. Cured Magazine. It's, I think, the only printed issue out in the world right now
3: well there may be a couple more floating around but yes i i spend a lot of time stroking it
2: (laughs) (laughs) so cured magazine is is your new job you are the eic of this wonderful publication by 0.0 which focuses on fermentation preservation and curing
3: Yes. And all different forms of preservation. So fermentation is really prime. It's big. It's the most exciting. It's the one that bubbles and froths. And uh, I think that that's what most people think about. But we're also really interested in the use of salt and the use of sugar as well. It's an extraordinary preservative. Think about all of those different jams drying. Uh, And I also really have a Personal fascination with mold. So, we're thinking as well about different ways that we can uh, look at the natural world and what is in it and capture molds uh, in desirable environments, maybe in some less desirable environments, but then turn them into edible products that taste really fabulous
2: you know your background was in and still is in, in russian literature and when i think of russian cuisine i mainly think of preserved cured and moldy things
3: <laughs> well i i don't want to add the moldy to that i i want to say preserved cured sour but uh it was so important obviously when you had a very long winter and you needed to ensure survival, that you put things up. But they felt very strongly that lacto-fermentation was important. So just salting the vegetables, not adding vinegar, to, because I know you're the vinegar guy. <laughs> so it feels uh, heretical to say this a bit, but uh, a vinegar pickle is not a true pickle to a Russian
2: I I feel that way. We'll have a discussion (laughs) off-air because the Japanese also think that way as well. And, you know, that's actually an amazing segue into what's in Cured. We'll we'll touch upon it because it's not even out yet. This is the coolest thing. I'm getting this preview, and I've been so excited to see it. And, I mean, mold alone, the imagery of the different molds in there, you wouldn't know that it was mold if you saw it.
3: That's one of my favorite. It's It's very hard. It's like having... I don't have, I only have one child. But it's still, I feel like I have to choose among all my different children because there are so many articles in here I really love. But uh, in the French Photographic Society in Paris, the archivist found in the basement, and you can imagine very damp basement. Uh, near the Seine, all of these old glass negatives from the 1920s that had been uh, covered with mold, they'd been neglected for 90 years. And she was devastated because they were destroyed. But then she started looking at them in a different way and realizing that mold destroys, but it also creates. And she... Could no longer recognize who the original photographer was, and she decided that mold was the artist, and she took these very beautiful photographs of landscapes that are overlaid with different colors of mold, and it's just beautiful work of art.
2: I mean, it's kaleidoscopic. It looks like you know atom bombs being dropped in the you know uh, this rainbow desert. It it just—I can't wait till the world sees that.
3: I think one of my aims with CURED is to help Americans get over their fear of mold. Obviously, there are bad molds and dangerous molds, but I think our country, uh, in the course of the 20th century and continuing into the present, has become so uh, overly sanitized. Uh, We're afraid of bacteria. We're afraid we're afraid of so many things and we need to start recognizing the mold can be this beautiful tool that can create really dynamite flavor think, and how can we capture it
2: yeah I mean I think we're scared of open air and yes. you know <laughs> uh, another article in there is about nishiki market in Kyoto which I've been lucky enough to walk through and the amount of pickles and cured things that are just out there in the open air uh, it's fascinating and it, it just kind of resonates it it fills up your nostrils and it makes you salivate and want more it's it's not scary it's it's you know it brings you there
3: it does and it is so essential to who we are as these living beings and then you see all these living vegetables because it, it they're not packaged and sanitized. I mean, they're not unsanitary, but, but they're, it's as though they're living and breathing, too, and, and you get these uh, intense aromas.
2: Like you said before, you know, a lot of curing may be out of necessity. Is it all out of necessity, or where does, you know, fermentation, preservation, mold happen where it, it's more out of uh, um, kind of an ephemeral nature?
3: mm mm-hmm. I've given this a lot of thought. I don't have the ultimate answer. But the the first impulse was to survive. And uh, people found ways to, for instance, one of my favorite things ever is grovlocks, which is salmon that today we simply cure very briefly with a mixture of salt and sugar and a lot of dillweed. You can add some other things. But originally that salmon was buried in the sand. The fishermen in Sweden and other parts of Scandinavia were going out and they were out catching the salmon for several days and they needed to preserve what they had until they came back home. They buried it, lacto-fermentation began, and that was the original gravlax, which comes from gravidlox buried salmon. Um, but... If you have something that you've preserved and it helps you survive, that's great. But if it doesn't taste good, you don't want to eat it.
2: Are, are there certain things that you can't eat? I mean, there's the fermented whale blubber. There's, you know...
3: Uh, oh, the shark. Well, I've had the hot girl, which is the yeah. Icelandic uh, fermented shark. You know, if I have the Brenvin which is the Icelandic vodka, um, I can do anything. But it's not one of my go-to foods. But I do think that over the course of these many thousands of years, and one of the little pieces in Cured is about this discovery in Sweden of 9,200-year-old fermented fish. It's been going on for thousands of years. And if it weren't delicious, people would not continue to make it. So it's been this uh, progression of... Uh, working to make flavors as good as they can be.
2: Have you have you seen gravlax itself kind of iterate throughout the world? I know people make it in so many different ways now.
3: Yes, I have. And uh, one of my favorite ways is made in Sweden. It's called ice cellar salmon. And they put it into a brine instead of rubbing the salt and the sugar right on the flesh of the fish. And so it sits in the brine for uh, 24 to 48 hours. And it has a silkier texture.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the gamut. I've been lucky enough to also be an acne fish, which Uh, I think
3: is, they do a good job. It
2: is, it is my Mecca, you know, Uh every Friday you can go there, I think between 8am and 12pm and stand in line and buy directly from the warehouse. But I've seen all the techniques they've used too. And it's amazing to see just on one piece of fish, how many different ways you, you can cure it. Um, are there things that are uncurable, though? Or are there, you know... <laughs> Some diseases, <Yeah. laughs> I
3: would say. We're still working on that. But but that also makes me think about how we are trying to cure those. One of the reasons I love this title, Cured, is because it has a secondary meaning of curing our bodies. And uh, another great article in the magazine is about the, all the fermentation that goes on in the gut, and our current obsession with probiotics. So this idea of um, the good bacteria and trying to make sure that we retain those within our bodies and uh, keep this really nice balance, that's all part of uh, the larger idea of CURED.
2: And that's not just because you're a hippie from the West Coast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I am sort of beyond that era in my life, although I look back very fondly on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's look back at that era, because what were you doing then, which you didn't quite understand, but may have been part of this larger cured world?
3: Oh, well, what an interesting question. So I was in the Bay Area in the 70s, which so is still the tail end of what we call the 60s, you know, that era. And uh, eating things like brown rice, which was so radical then because we were rejecting you know, corporate values, and we weren't eating processed foods, we weren't eating white rice, so it was brown rice, and kimchi is everywhere now, but there obviously is a very large Asian population in the Bay Area, and kimchi was available then. And just uh, the idea of going back to the land, and what we call DIY now, uh, making it yourself, um, the whole Earth Catalog, and all of these wonderful ways to be independent, living the good life, Scott and Helen Nearing, that's actually older, but yeah, it has a long lineage.
2: And then you come back to Valencia Street today and you see a restaurant <laughs> like Bar Tartine. Yes. Which I mean, they, they are the thesis statement to cured. They yes. do everything in house, cure and ferment things every different way.
3: Yeah. and And they know how to work with sourdough in a way that Say the uh, touristy version of San Francisco sourdough, which is just sour and has no depth or complexity of flavor. They have understood how to use different strains of yeast and create beautiful, beautiful bread.
2: And you highlight another one of those kind of restaurants, uh, Baru in LA. Yeah. Which I've I've only seen pictures of their pantry of their larder and been blown away by kind of the spectrum of things that they do.
3: Yes, he's really cutting edge i would say
2: when i was in japan i i stopped by this little restaurant and it's hakko riori h-a-k-k-o uh hakko h-a-k-o i guess is down in osaka and it's kind of a, a vinegar cured box sushi but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself uh h-a-k-k-o is a fermentation cuisine that only just started happening in japan and it was fascinating to see Because I thought most of Japanese cuisine was just fermented. But it's another thing that's taken for granted. You know, you you see so many things in in their supermarkets that are like the white rice.
3: Right. And they love the white rice. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, some very interesting studies that have been done about that. But I think one of the things that uh, sort of the general population doesn't realize is that if you go into the grocery store and you think about the most basic things we eat, um, bread, uh, cheese, yogurt, I'd say is pretty basic these days, although it was once radical, (laughs) Uh, tea, coffee, chocolate, uh, wine, beer, uh, distilled spirits, all of these things have undergone different forms of, of uh, fermentation and aging. And so really, when um, 0.0 asked me to be involved with this, at first I thought, well, that's maybe a niche publication. How many issues can we produce? And when I started thinking about it, I think it could go on well beyond my lifetime there's that much to explore throughout the world.
2: Well, it's one of those good things come to those who wait. You know, (laughs) ultimate patience of dealing with these kind of products that take extraordinary amounts of time to make. Uh, We've all been waiting for Cured, and we're so glad that it's here.
3: Well, thanks for your excitement.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Cheers.
1: Today's program was brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association. The Nutritional Therapy Association, NTA, is a vocational nutrition school that develops, trains, and certifies nutritional therapy practitioners and nutritional therapy consultants to understand and reverse the tragic and unsuspected effects of the modern diet on their clients based on their bio-individual nutritional needs. There's no perfect diet for everyone. Their philosophy is that the myriad of health problems that plague modern society result from weakness in the body's physiological foundations as a result of poor nutrition and that everyone deserves to be healthy. Throughout NTA seminars, students access a wide range of educational tools and techniques that help identify and correct nutritional imbalances from a holistic perspective, emphasizing the importance of properly prepared, nutrient-dense whole foods. Their organization was founded on the teachings of Weston A. Price and the science of Dr. Francis M. Pottinger. For more information, visit nutritionaltherapy.com. and welcome back
2: to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell, here with Dara Goldstein and Cured Magazine. Um, one of the. <laughs> it's such a fascinating thing. Cheese bells. You know. It, <laughs> I, I, I consider myself pretty um, in-depth when it comes to the world of fermentation, and I know there's a lot I don't know, but cheese bells, I have no <laughs> idea were, were such a thing to write about. Um, a cheese bell is not cheese nor a bell. Go.
3: A cheese bell. So I'm pretty obsessed with material culture. I love objects, and I love to explore the history of objects. So when we were thinking about How would this magazine take shape? And I wanted it to be broader than uh, the expectations that there would be. We have some great recipes in here, by the way. But I, as I said earlier, wanted it to go beyond the realm of the edible. So I started thinking about accoutrements for the different fermented products. One of the things I'm really interested... are the uh, pottery uh, Korean jars for fermenting, and that um, might be a a beautiful feature in the future. But for cheese, in the 19th century in England, it was very fashionable to have domes to uh, keep the cheese, particularly very tall wheels of stilton under, so that uh, the flies wouldn't get to them, but they were objects of beauty in themselves. They were made of majolica which has a very lustrous... It's a ceramic process that has a very lustrous glaze. Unfortunately, lead is quite important (laughs) to that luster, and it uh, stopped being made pretty much in the early 20th century because so many people in the factories were dying. But they left this beautiful legacy of very whimsical objects to cover the cheese. And their animals... There are underwater scenes with fish and crabs. There are cows lolling in the meadow. There are castles with turrets. There are mice who have nibbled into uh, the cheese. And they have beautiful finials or handles on top that sometimes are in the form of snakes or other strange exotic animals.
2: I mean, they're so wholly ornate for uh, Stilton.
3: Yeah, but Stilton, of course, was considered the king of cheese. Although I did find a quote uh, from, I think, 1720 Daniel Defoe, who had traveled to the home of Stilton and found that what he was served there was full of maggots. And, uh, <laughs> but that relates to another article in the book about the uh, Sardinian cheese that, that has the live maggots in it. So it, it's all a question of acculturation and there's a great article by Fuchsia Dunlop that talks about uh, rot, basically, and how rotted cheese, which is what, or rotted milk, I should say, which is what Stilton is, you know, it has mold in it. That's what makes those beautiful, succulent blue veins. To a Chinese um, person from uh, central China who will eat stinky tofu that makes up us turn up our noses will be offended by the smell of Stilton. Huh.
2: I know. Stinky tofu is one of those things I, I try to force myself to eat because I'm like, I should at least appreciate this, but it's that indole, you know, that, that, that poop scent that, yes. that always stops me. And like you just said, you know, so many different cultures have so many different red flags mm-hmm. as to what to eat.
3: Exactly. And, and it is taught at a very early age. So Uh, Again, one of the things I hope Cured will do is make readers very curious to at least try things. You don't have to decide that it's become your new favorite food, but to get past the hesitation and at least give give it a taste.
2: I've never been to Mexico, but I want to go with Betty Fussell.
3: (laughs) Oh, Betty, the amazing Betty Fussell, who is now 89 and went on a jaunt to Guadalajara so that she could research an article on Tejino. I think a lot of Americans are very familiar with different uh, drinks that are uh, fermented in Mexico, and and many people might know chicha, which is another drink from fermented um, cornmeal. But Tejino is sweet, and it... uh, was something that she had never explored and she's so adventurous and feisty that she went down there and found the best tejuinero who taught her how to make it and there's a great recipe for it in the magazine
2: and ultimately fashionable too yes i mean wait until you see the image of her sitting at the table with her spectacular hat it's something to behold um it's kind of cool. The book that I'm writing, Acid Trip, all about vinegar. There's a little crossover here, and it's it's the man Ed Lee, um, Edward is in Louisville and ha- has blended, you know, his background. He's a Brooklyn boy, but of Korean descent, uh, with Southern cuisine, and I mean, almost out of the blue, persimmons come into play.
3: Yes. Um- I think Edward is, is quite brilliant, and he is appearing on this season of Mind of a Chef, which has some segments about fermentation, so I would encourage all the listeners to see that. But what he did for us in Cured is a piece on persimmon vinegar, and uh, there's beautiful, beautiful photography by the art director, Daniel de Graff, that captures the time lapse as these persimmons are put into a Ziploc bag, vacuum sealed, and begin to ferment over time to create persimmon vinegar. And that's another aspect of Cured in the magazine that is very important to me. We live in this instantaneous society. I mean, of course, I was checking my email and my Twitter and everything before I walked into the station and sort of hating myself for doing it. Like, why can't I just stand here and stand here for a second before I walk in? But um, this curing and fermenting is all about slowing down and contemplating a much different pace and uh, entering into that and appreciating that. And it's a very beautiful thing. And I think that Edward's article on making persimmon vinegar and then he has a great recipe for hamachi crudo with the persimmon vinegar
2: and stinky tofu
3: and stinky (laughs) tofu yes that's an important part of it really um, gives a sense of process
2: yeah and and season you know because a lot of fermentation is, is cyclical you know it's not something that can happen every day every year and what I found out with vinegar itself is as ubiquitous as it seems um, it does have a time and place. Uh, I think that shows uh, again with an object of yours is is the Christmas pickle ornaments. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it, that's I I never knew about that. I'm I'm kind of only a decade into Christmas myself, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, it, it's something that you see once a year and you cherish, like like prosciutto, like parmesan, you know. Uh, Christmas pickle ornaments it's so great to wait for it because then when it appears you appreciate it that much more
3: you do I'm obsessed with them (laughs) how
2: many do you have
3: um I think really only one very special one
2: yeah so what are the other things that you wait for annually or, or
3: perennially well right now I love coming into the city, but it was very hard to leave the Berkshires today because it is full fall foliage season and it's really spectacular. So I await that every year. I await uh, the first spring greens coming up because the winter in Williamstown is—I mean, it's not Russia, but it's—it's uh, <laughs> it's very long. And so that smell of the earth, um, the mold of the leaves that. You have from the fall season, once the snow melts. I really like all of those earthy, pungent aromas. And then I start thinking about what else is going to start growing.
2: So Cured Magazine is going to be a biannual. Yes. Um, And the next issue coming out next year. This one's coming out this fall-ish time.
3: Yeah, so the next one will be out sometime probably late spring.
2: And if people wanted to submit articles wanted to write for you because I know everyone's interest is peaked about fermentation yeah. right now. Um, what are you looking for?
3: Well, one of the things, as you know, from your experience with gastronomica, I really love bringing new voices into the fold. Um, it gives me great pleasure to mentor, but that said, uh, the uh, ideas have to be very focused. The writing has to be excellent. Uh, But you certainly don't have to be a famous writer to submit. And I am open to really, I learn so much from the people who write to me and suggest things that I hadn't thought of. Uh, The complication being that when it appears only twice a year, there's not that much space for articles. And the, the second issue is pretty much full.
2: Who knew there would be a glut over fermented writing?
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> um,
2: one other quick thing. Someday I'll have to get you out to uh, Brighton Beach Borough Park because I just found out about, you're going to have to, uh, you know, pronounce these for me. It's a cold Russian soup, O uh, k O-K-Roshka. Yes, roshka, a, a Kroshka. And then a hot cabbage one, which is S-C-
3: she, s c s g. that she's. Well, yeah. I won't go into my yeah. Russian thing now. Yeah, that's uh cabbage soup. And the thing about the cabbage soup and that really brings up a wonderful point about the um the whole slow process of uh, so sauerkraut, real sauerkraut that has been brined and uh fermented is the mainstay of a mainstay of the Russian diet, and it is the basis of this cabbage soup. But there's also a cabbage soup called lazy cabbage soup that uses fresh cabbage so that you don't have to wait until you uh, have gotten the new season of cabbage and then you know sliced it and salted it and waited for the brine to develop and everything.
2: Yeah. No, I've just been fascinated with uh, the idea of cooking uh, with that secondary product with the pickle water itself.
3: Oh, and there are are several others. I won't go into them now, but uh, one of my favorites is actually made with the pickle brine and you can take it from a regular jar of pickles and you add a lot of offal or organ meats to it, particularly kidneys and chopped up pickles, a little bit of tomato, capers, olives and it's one of my favorite soups
2: and i'm gonna expect you to write that piece for your next issue
3: (laughs) (laughs) there's an idea
2: excellent thank you so much for being on thank you so much for bringing cured magazine to life and i can't wait till everybody else gets to see what i already know is a beautiful topic
3: Thanks so much for your excitement, Michael. It was great talking to you.
2: Absolutely. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thanks to NutritionalTherapy.com, Music by Cookies, and David Engineering. Cheers.